I remember hearing a, an example one time. This is a, a story from way back in the day, and there's Roman soldiers, you know, back in that back in those days. You know, the Caesar, whoever the, the big shot was walking by, this one soldier who was looking out of place and sloppy and not dressed right and not paying attention. He said, soldier, stand up, clean up. And then he left, and then he came back again, and that same soldier was messing around and not looking appropriately, blah, blah, blah. Three or four times went by, and finally then the general says to the soldier, listen, you either change your name or change your behavior. Because, like, what you're doing is not consistent. So for men out there, change your name, meaning don't think you're being a man. Do not claim that you're a man if you're going to be doing these things. Change your name or change your behavior because you're ruining it for the rest of us and you're ruining it for this world. Gentlemen, what is going on? Welcome back this week to another amazing and guys, very, very important episode of The Superhuman Life. Before we get into introducing today's guest, in conversation, let me just remind you again how incredibly grateful and thankful we are to have you here with us today. If this is your first time to The Superman Life, welcome, guys. And if you're a returning guest and you return me because you're getting value out of these conversations, all we ask is that you give back uh, to this movement, to this podcast by sharing today's conversation with everybody that you know, but more importantly, leaving us a five-star rating and written review, whether you're listening there on Apple, Spotify, or whatever it is you're consuming these shows. We're so grateful for every single one of you. Guys, we have a very important conversation. You know, we've had many, many guests and many times we've addressed the topic of raising awareness around the dangers and the real issue going around the world with modern day slavery, also known as human trafficking. And I can remember back, uh, I believe it was in 2020, maybe early 2021, when I first met with Sarah, the founder of Stop the Movement, which is one of the local anti-human trafficking organizations that we are partnered with. And I remember in that meeting asking Sarah, what's the biggest thing she needs from me? How can I bring value and service to her, her organization and the women, the women that are fighting this danger? And she looked me dead in the eyes and she said, Frank, we need men. We need men just like you because something happens when a man walks into an organization. Something happens when a man is speaking from the stage or when a man is addressing the dangers of human trafficking and really what is going on in the world. And when you look across, I mean, we've had Sarah on here. We've had uh, my dear friend and Natasha on. We've had Lila uh, Micklewaite from Trafficking Hub on. We've had Hannah Blair sharing her story. You know, it always seems to be that it's the women that are the ones that are leading this conversation. And today's guest is just like myself. Man, he's calling us out because he believes that men are at the root of this problem. Men are why this is an issue in the world. But more importantly, men are going to be the one that is going to lead the front, lead from the front, and change this. So joining me in today's conversation is none other than Alan Smith. Alan serves as the executive director for Saving Innocence, an anti-human trafficking community-based organization focused on the recovery and restoration of child victims of sex trafficking. Based in Los Angeles, Alan has a responsibility over direct services and business operations. His main focus includes budgeting and resource development, strategic partnerships, and development of client services. Now, he's also the co-author of the brand new book, Men Fight For Me, 
Fight for me are the words that he heard directly from a survivor of sex trafficking who is featured in chapter three of his book. Alan's unique view into this tragedy has given him a backstage pass to the horrific exploration of children. As a man, Alan has seen how important his male voice is in combating this dark reality in our society. So we dive deep into why men are at the root of this problem, but more importantly, how us men can begin to rise up through our voices, through our words, through our pocketbooks, and through taking aggressive action to fight what in my opinion is one of the strongest forces of evil that we're facing in the world today. So guys, this is an incredible conversation. Uh, it's going to be a tough one for some of you to hear, uh, but if we can join forces here together, we can begin to make changes for good here in this world, guys. So without further ado, let's get into today's conversation, fighting modern day slavery with authentic masculinity with Alan Smith. We love you guys. We'll see you on the other side. Alan, my brother, welcome to the Superhuman Life. Oh, uh, thanks for having me. Looking forward to this conversation. I really have been looking forward to this one as well. And I know I told you uh, before we started recording here that this conversation and interview or podcast may go a little bit different because I know a lot of times what you're out there doing is you're raising awareness or trying to bring this conversation to the consciousness of most people. Whereas I think our audience is going to know this. Uh, they're highly aware of it. And I'm really excited to kind of dive a little bit deeper into your work and why you feel that men are really at the forefront of the problem and ultimately going to be the solution. And for me, I can remember, I mean, it's been three and a half, four years since I've been aware really of what's been going on and I there's been a handful of moments that were just like so pivotal and it was like once I knew once the curtain was kind of pulled back for me there was no looking back so I'm excited to kind of dive in and I'm curious with you Alan tell us a little bit about kind of your I guess genesis in working with the anti-human trafficking because I know you've been doing some nonprofit stuff for really your entire career what was the point where it was like there's this problem and I'm going to be a part of the solution yeah, I worked for a different nonprofit called Young Life for my entire life, 25 years on their staff. And about seven years ago, eight years ago now, um, it was time to do something different, change of scenery, different focus after 25 years. You know, my internship was up, time to do something different. And uh, I had heard about an organization called Saving Innocence, which is who I work for now. And you can find us at savinginnocence.org website. And there's videos to watch and on social media. But um, I'd heard about them in my final year on the Young Life staff, and they found out they were working with child victims of sex trafficking. And I thought, what, are they in Thailand? What do you mean by that? No, no, they're right here in Los Angeles, where I'm, where I'm living now. I said, that was weird. And it, it never left my brain. I didn't do anything with it for that year because I was fully you know, engulfed with, with what I was doing. And then I stepped away from uh, you know, Young Life after 25 years, and I couldn't get Saving Innocence out of my head, just the very little that I'd heard about them. And I, so I cold called the founder and went and met with her um, at, at their office, currently now my office, <laughs> and uh, heard the entire story and, you know, kind of the two hour version of what was happening out there, what was happening in our country, fastest growing crime in the world, average age of entry is around 12 years old. I mean, all this horrific stuff. And, you know, I'm a dad, I have a son and a daughter, and most of the young victims are little girls. So as a dad with a daughter, now you don't need to be a dad or have a daughter to care about this. But, uh, uh, dads with daughters, I think it hits a little differently, possibly, maybe. And and so I was mesmerized and I walked out of there after that two hour meeting and I said, I I'm in. It wasn't a job interview. There's no job posting. I wasn't there being interviewed for a job. I was just 
kind of seeking, what is this and what might be next for me? And long story short, after a couple of months of conversations, they extended an offer for me to join the team and, and I haven't looked back. I'm, I'm all in. Uh, there's nothing that resonates more with who I am as a man, as a father, um, as a leader than being part of this fight to fight for these kids, children who are being abused horrifically every single day of every single week of every single month of every single year. And they're voiceless. Uh, most, most of them, no one's looking for them. So man, when I can get on a podcast or a radio show or a TV thing or whatever it is, and I can speak to men, I got a lot to say. So thanks for having me. Absolutely, brother. Um, no, I think a lot of that, you know, really, really resonates with, with me as well. Why, why do you feel, because, you know, we've, 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 we've had, you know, six, seven conversations around this. Obviously you've done an incredible job of raising awareness and there's amazing people out there. Why do you feel for you when you saw the truth and you kind of were revealed just like me, right? Curtain pulled back and it's like, okay, there's a problem back here. I may not be the one that's going to fix it, but I want to be a part of the solution or at least not be a part of the contributor. Why do you feel for you, this was such a deep calling? Like, why did it resonate so much with you? Well, in my previous work, it was all focused on uh, the enrichment of lives of teenagers. So my entire life was was building up teens and kids and all kinds of teenagers that were in all various versions of struggle and whatnot. So that was already ingrained in me. And then, as I mentioned earlier, I'm a dad. <clears throat> and when you learn about what's happening to children out there, you can't help, if you get close enough to it, you can't help but envision your own child being swept into this crime that's happening. And when I say crime that's happening, it's very, very typical that starting at 12 years old, 13, 14, 15, they're literally raped a dozen times a day, every single day. And um, I, I had one amazing survivor that is a great friend of ours and was on our staff at Saving Innocence for a while, put her story on video, which actually you can find on our website. And she said that by the time she was 12 years old, she'd already been raped 4,000 times. And she was in that life for three and a half more years. And so you start doing that math and you start thinking, uh, I have to do something about this. I feel this deeply. And, you know, one of my favorite quotes, Martin Luther King says, our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter. And he certainly had his focus and his audience. But that quote is pretty transferable to, you know, us right now. And, and as men and all the men listening to this podcast, I love the imagery that it's not like you jump off a cliff and you die right now. He says your lives begin to end the day you become silent about things that matter. It, it suggests sort of a slow erosion of self, of life, of your world, of your character, of your integrity. Like there's a slow erosion the minute you stay silent about things that matter. And I can't stay silent. And so I'll use my mouth, but it, more importantly, I'll use my actions however, whenever I can. And I'll invite as many men into this fight as possible. Yes, there are some victims out there that need need help. But the other side of that coin is we as men, we have to engage in a battle bigger than ourselves. We have to engage in something meaningful, something important. There's a broken world out there. And most of the brokenness is caused by broken men. Most of the problems. I saw a little meme a while back, and I don't know if it was a joke or an actual study or something, but it said 80% of all problems are caused by men. And at first I sort of chuckled and I thought, hmm, that's probably right. In fact, it might be a little bit low. Like you almost can't think of a, an, an actual significant problem out there, pain, suffering, something that 
there aren't a bunch of broken idiot men behind it fueling it. You almost can't think of any. I honestly can't think of any. And, and so if we know what the problem is, we're 50% there. If you can define and isolate a problem, you can now come up with a solution. The problem of this broken world is broken men. And the problem with sex trafficking and human trafficking is broken men. Almost all the buyers and sellers are men. So we need the good, strong men to step up and confront those broken men with bad intentions because we are shrinking away as society. We're shrinking away as good, strong men, and it's leaving a gap for men with bad intentions to cause problems and wreak havoc. So I feel this deeply. I don't know if you can tell, but um, we need to get as many strong, good men as we can into this fight because that is the only solution. Yeah, brother, I can feel I can feel the passion in 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 energy, um, and that's and that's what I knew I was getting into with with bringing you on here today. It's a powerful quote by Dr. Kingman, and it and it and it it brings me to one that I've shared, you know, six seven times now. Every time we've we've had this conversation, and and I think it's an Einstein quote, and it's the world will not be destroyed by those that do evil. So the world is not going to be destroyed by the weak men that are out there that are raping children or selling them. So he goes on to say the world will be destroyed by those that sit back and pretend like nothing is happening and watch. So, you know, we're going to, we're going to call out men here today. And we're, you know, hopefully uh, this conversation is going to inspire some to take action, some to inspire to take action with their pocketbooks, some to inspire to take actions uh, with their voices, but more importantly with their hands and feet actually getting out there uh, on, on the ground. How do you see, the conversation going around right now with toxic masculinity, right? So there's there's clearly in my in my opinion and in my eyes, there's there's an agenda to, I don't want to know if it's weaken men, but keep men from really growing strong and masculine, right? So that's that's one agenda that's kind of being pushed. You know, you hear it mainstream, you hear it on 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 one side of the argument, knowing that it's the weak men that are causing the problem. How do you kind of process all of what's kind of taking place in society right now? You know, that, that's a tragic narrative that's being forwarded. And the narrative is that all masculinity is therefore toxic masculinity. Like the narrative, the push is that men need to shrink and go back because you've caused all these problems. And in some ways we, we have men. But the answer is not less masculinity. The answer is healthy and appropriate masculinity. Uh, the, the tagline of the book that I'm sure we'll talk about, Men Fight For Me, and, and it talks about the role of authentic masculinity um, in ending sexual exploitation and trafficking. So there's an authentic version of masculinity that's out there, that's necessary. And um, it just drives me crazy that men are passive, weak men are being led around by their nose. And the answer that is being submitted for us is to step back, shrink back, be less of a man. And absolutely not. That is not the answer. The answer is to be more of a man, be a strong man, be a powerful man. Use your strength and your power appropriately. Use your strength and power to bring healing, not hurt, not wounds, not oppression. Use it appropriately. And we talk about it in the book and give a lot of examples. But that's the answer. And uh, to answer your question, it drives me crazy. I, 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 I hate that this word toxic masculinity is just, it's been just replaced for masculinity. Masculinity mm -hmm. is toxic masculinity, says the narrative. And I say absolutely not. There's a healthy, positive version that the world is in desperate need of.
Yeah, we've we've addressed the the toxic masculinity here here multiple times, and I think it was I think it was Ryan Mickler from from Order of Man when when we had him on. It's like toxic and masculinity. It's they're almost conflicting ideas. Like the fact that we would even put them together and say like this is something that's happening. It's like masculinity is the opposite of toxicity. So in reality, it's like it's it's not even a there's no truth behind toxic masculinity in 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 in, in my opinion. You've been, uh, you started working with Saving Innocence seven, seven years ago? About seven and a half years ago. Yeah. 2015. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, Alan, obviously, I mean, you have this book and I know it's a, a, a more recent project. Um, so when I got partnered with one of our organizations here that fights human trafficking, Stop the Movement, I can remember I was invited to a documentary that they were screening uh, by another friend of mine that's involved in another organization. And I remember at the end of that meeting, asking the founder of the organization, what does she need from me? Like, how, how can I be of the biggest help to her? Is it money? Is it, do you need my voice? Do you need me to come and give talks? Do you need me to go kick down doors? Like you tell me where you need me to go and I will be there for you. And her first response was, Frank, we need men. Like every organization that I've been involved in is led by 95, if not 99% women. So I'm curious for you, seven years in this, how have you seen men getting involved in the fight? Yeah. And I have had that same experience. Anytime I go somewhere, I'm almost the only man there. And whether it's a, a citywide training or some kind of an event, an awareness event or something, it's mostly women, a bunch of yeah. great, strong, awesome women doing everything All they can incredible. do. Incredible. Yes. So many of those heroes. And, and what's the missing ingredient is good, strong men to lend their voice, their strength, their power. And, um, and most of those women would welcome us men into the fight. They, they know, the ones that are close enough to it, they know that it's mostly broken men that are causing all this pain. So we are welcomed into it. Men, you're invited into this fight. And I get asked that question all the time. Well, what can I do? And I, I certainly have a list of things that you can do, but I don't want to answer right off the bat. I want to push it back on whoever's asking that question. I say, I don't know. What can you do? Like, who are you? What do you know? What do you do? What are your skills? Do you have any money? Do you have any talent? Do you have a company? Do you have a voice? Like, who are you? And how about your friends? What do they know? Who do they know? What are they, what, what's going on with them? And my answer is, we need you men, whoever, whoever's listening right now, to do whatever it is you can do and bring that to this fight. So some of you own a marketing company or something. Well, approach a, non, a nonprofit you know, human trafficking agency and say, can I help you with your marketing and your graphic design? Others of you have a podcast. You can invite me and people like me on your podcast. And like you didn't start your podcast, Frank, so you could talk about human trafficking. You started your podcast to do a lot of things. And, but you can use that for this fight. And every once in a while, have a conversation dedicated to this fight. Um, you know, I was speaking at an event uh, some time ago, and my daughter and her friend were at a table right in front of me. And her friend was about to get married. And she had a, uh, you know, bridal registry, online bridal registry, like, like you do. And I, I just happened to notice I'm speaking from the stage and I see her working on her phone, working on something. And she comes up to me afterwards. She said, I just, I just made one of the presents they could give to me on the online registry, a financial gift to saving innocence. I said, that's awesome. You know, it's like she didn't get married so she could give gifts to saving innocence. She's getting married and she used that for the good of these young victims. So do whatever you can do. Take your talent, your gifts. You can certainly become a financial contributor places always. But show up. Do more than that. Lose sleep at night and think, what else can I do? And then follow your nose, follow your heart, and do that. 
Yeah, no, that's um, it. It, it kind of circles back to something you you said previously, where we need something to fight for that is bigger and beyond ourselves. And you know, I guess you know what you're speaking to is maybe a purpose or, or or a calling there, or just something you know, something that we're aiming at that is that is outside of ourselves. How big of men missing that in their life do you feel is contributing to this problem? Um, I. I... That's a, that's an interesting question, an interesting slant on it. Um, do do you mean the people that are perpetrating either the buyers? Yeah, so I'm saying, yeah. So so the problem, right? So um, you know the the traffickers, and then also the traffic the 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 purchasers. So our world has gotten incredibly easy, right? And it's and it's and it's very soft. You you can literally have everything you want delivered to you at the push of a button, and you know. Adding on top of that, you know, the push against men, the fight against raising up strong men. We we have an entire generation of young men that are literally lost without drive, without purpose, without a calling within their life. So curious if there's a link there, or am I just am I just kind of like trying to connect a dot that maybe isn't really there? Well, no, the the, the state of men and the state of um, communities and society is in a free fall. Uh, the, the fatherless stats are off the chart. You probably know them at the top of your fingertips, particularly in the inner cities. So we have young boys growing up without a male figure guiding them and prov- providing guidance and, and accountability. The, the numbers are off the chart. So you have young boys growing up without any kind of direction. They're being inundated. Now that we live in this social media world and the smartphone world, they're being inundated with five or 10,000 images and ideas every single day many of which, depending on who they're following, most of which are destructive, most of which are demeaning to women and sexuality. And they don't have any bigger voice in their life to, to correct them and show them what's right. Uh, also, I know this, is that the same conditions which produce a vulnerable child who's vulnerable and susceptible to being trafficked, and we can talk about that as much as you want, those same conditions are what is producing the traffickers. So it, it would be easy. It would be an easy and simplistic approach to just say, these traffickers are all monsters and we should throw them all to jail for the rest of their life and burn them alive. I mean, you could go crazy about the pain that they're causing. And then you just peel back the, the, the onion a little bit and, and pull the curtain back a little bit. Uh, most of them grew up in brutal inner city environments. Uh, most of them don't know their dad, never did. Most of them, maybe their mom was addicted to something and gone, maybe in prison. Most of them were homeless. Most of them were fighting for their life on the streets. And without making an excuse in any way, shape, or form, that was their conditions. And they saw the older boys in the neighborhood with money and status. And some of that came from drugs and gangs, and some of it came from, from selling other people. And they grew up as they got a little bit older, and then they saw the vulnerable girls in their communities who needed support and needed protection and needed money and food. And it was it's like this recipe at the bottom of it. Uh, we have good, strong men shrinking away and not providing the accountability and the consistency for both of those groups. And then we live in America. And for the most part, you know, we're, we're, we're a rich country and everybody, whether you think yourself as rich or not, you got a little money in your pocket, most likely. You got an extra car. You got multiple TVs in your house, like all the things that you would consider what, what is wealthy. Um, you have money to then go satisfy your needs. And for a percentage of those men, they 
come up with some kind of sexual addiction. They're looking at porn. I know you focus on that a lot. They're they're looking at porn. They they they're creating this fetish, this fantasy. And like you said, you push a button, you get anything you want. Well, this this crime has moved online uh, in a lot of ways. And so they're they're girls and boys for sale online. And it's just feeding into the snowball going down the hill of dysfunction and, and pain and, and hurt. Yeah, that's um God, that's fascinating. I never I never thought about it that way. The same conditions that are producing the innocent victims that become vulnerable are the same conditions that are producing the traffickers. Curious what conditions are producing the buyers. Uh, well, in a lot of ways, there's a, there's kind of different versions of buyers. In a lot of ways, those same conditions are sending that buyer down a path, trying to heal a heal an internal wound that was given to them as a child. They were abused in some way, or they were neglected in some way, and now they're looking for outside, you know, kind of uh, things that will help satisfy that. And some people go down an alcoholism road or drugs or something like that, and some people go down a you know a sexual fetish route. A lot of the buyers, though, a lot of the buyers, maybe fifty percent are what I would call situational abusers. They're otherwise normal guys. It's the next door neighbor. It's a little league coach. It's your dentist. It's a cop. It's a pastor. It's people in your community. And they've seen something online or thought about it. And they know their wife's never going to buy into that. or they, they can't even bring it up to their wife. you know. So they have these unmet, quote, sexual needs, if you will. And suddenly, they're looking at things at night after hours. And then the next natural step is, I'm going to go somewhere and be in the physical presence. And Maybe it's a Friday night after a basketball game. You went down to your whatever city you're in and you saw whatever team you're rooting for and you've built into your night's activities with the guys. We know where we can buy sex. And uh, he's otherwise a normal guy. He's not this sleazy guy living in a van down by the river. Now, some of these buyers really are uh, damaged and hurt and not functioning in society. And this is one of their outlets. Um but a lot of them are otherwise normal guys. Um, in any event, there's something lacking or something missing that they're trying to fill. They're trying to solve. Yeah, it's. Um, I mean, it's shocking. Literally, as I as I pulled up from the gym uh, this afternoon, I was sitting in the sitting in the driveway, just kind of scrolling social media here a little bit, knowing I had this, you know, about about two hours later, and I saw a post from one of my friends that runs an organization here. And literally, today's news, one of the news headlines locally here in Tampa, two youth pastors arrested for trafficking children. I mean, so. There, like there, there it is. It's not, you know, like you said, it's not the guy down by the river pulling up in the van. It is the person that oftentimes you wouldn't like, you, you wouldn't know any, any difference just based upon the, the presentation, the conversation and what they do and how they show up in society. I mean, clearly if you, if you have the means to buy sex, then you, then you're not struggling in life. It's not like you're, you're, you're flat broke. Like this is comes from disposable income. There's a there's a version of the buyer that is an actual pedophile. They're seeking out to have sex with children because of their own ugly dysfunction and whatever, blah, blah, blah. But a lot of them are not. A lot of them even present as as good guys. Uh, co-author of my book that we'll talk about it um, talks about her. A lot of the buyers she uh, interacted with and, you know, like there's a fireman who was just kind of a lonely fireman. And for whatever reason, he you know, couldn't date the traditional way. And he would drop off money to her even when they weren't even, cause he's going out of town for a few days and, and they didn't even have an encounter, but he just wanted to make sure she was taken care of. And then there's an old man who was mourning his deceased wife. Well, he's too old to get on a dating app and all that, but somehow he got connected with my co-author and 
you know, he he wanted her to dress up in in his wife's nighty. Like he's long, he's thinking about his wife. He's not even in his mind. He's not going down a really dark, ugly rape path. He's going down this path of a sweet man trying to remember his wife. And 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 then there's the other version that's violent and aggressive, and they treat these victims like just actual pieces of property and even violently. And and so it's kind of the entire spectrum. It's the whole picture that you have to sort of take a minute and just try to consume. Yeah. I want to get your, I want to get your take on something. So I, I speak with a lot of men on a, on a weekly basis. I mean, some weeks it's probably over a hundred, you know, hundred conversations I'll have inside the DM. I shared this, uh, to my, my Instagram. It was a snapshot from a conversation that I had, and I'm going to kind of read a few of the, the bullet points. This was a little over uh, a, a year ago. This was, so this was an inbound message that came to me in response to a post that I had. And it said, those type of women are destroying men with porn. Men are the true victims who get hooked on porn. These women use sex in evil ways. And it was shocking to me because it was clearly the state of a man that was living in, in victimhood. And I think I'm in full agreement with you that men are the source of this problem and men are going to be the source of the solution. What would you say to a man that is, that is living in the state of he's the victim because women are out there exposing themselves, you know, you go on social media, it's like, you know, you like the, the, the attire, the clothes, the way that they show up, like, what would you say to a man that's saying, we're the victim because look at how these women are presenting themselves. What else would they expect from us? I, I'm struggling with how I should respond to this. I'm not sure what's permissible. I feel my blood pressure raising. Um, men in that category are not men. They're a weakened, cheapened, counterfeit, diminished version of what a man used to be, and they put themselves in this other place. I wouldn't call them a man. Now, biologically, they're they're a man. Okay, they they just they're so consumed. Their 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 narcissism has them so consumed with their self, and they probably you know got beat up as a kid, and they got their own issues, but they just lived in this place. And they fully sold that part of their soul over to saying it's your fault and I'm not part of that part of the problem. I, I, they probably don't have any idea even what they're saying. They probably don't have any idea who that other person is. You know, you, you mentioned uh, off the air that you interviewed Benji Nolod, who's a friend of mine, um, Exodus Cry, Beyond Fantasy. I mean, just a stud out there putting out great content. He told me something chilling one day. Um, about pornography. And you, again, you could probably quote it better than I can. It's so much of your focus. But after he interviewed everybody in the porn industry, he said to me, he said, um, not many, most of the people you see on screen are somehow there against their will. They've been coerced in some way, if not actually trafficked into that situation, meaning they have no choice whatsoever. And so you have these victimhood men looking at porn and they haven't taken even a minute to consider if this is consensual sex or not. And they're literally achieving some sort of gratification or high or however you want to phrase it by watching somebody get raped. They don't want to be there. It's non-consensual sex. There should be yellow police tape around your computer or your tablet, or your phone. It's a crime scene. And that man who's sitting there has no idea, or maybe he does. He just doesn't want to admit it. Uh, it, because of the work that I do and the people I interact with every day, um, that version of a man you're speaking to uh, is a real struggle for me. Uh, and I'm saying all this really nicely right now because 
I don't want to get too fired up. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't. I don't want to get you in in in, in trouble with anything <laughs> that you have you have going on. I would have loved to have the the unfiltered response to that, but uh, maybe maybe you and I can have a conversation offline where I can really kind of get your, uh, your 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 deep thoughts about that. No, Benji Benji is amazing, man. When when we had him on, he shared a story from from the movie. I think it was with uh, one of the producers, the hardcore the hardcore guy, where he was explaining how he would get. At first, a consensual, you know, woman that wanted to be there coerced her, you know, to doing the, the rough hard crack. So he, he, he'd lure them in with, you know, you're going to do this scene for this amount of money. And he even said, he's like, I want them to spend the money in their mind so that they, so that they feel that they need it. And then once they're literally in the scene, like he'll just push it and push it and push it to where if you want to get paid today, you have to do all of this for us. And the producer stopped and looked Benji in the eyes and he said, if you don't tell me that's trafficking, then I don't know what it is. So these producers out there are fully aware that they're breaking the law. They're fully aware of the evil that they're living out and how they're literally, I mean, tra trafficking these, these women on, on the screen. So yeah, yeah I've, heard, I, I've known that same thing. And, and, and that's the problem. There's no little button on your, on your screen. There's no banner. There, there's no way that the average regular knucklehead looking at porn can understand. I, I'm sure there are some percentage of men and women, more women probably than men, that are truly consensual. They're of age. This is what they want to do. I mean, you could peel back that onion if you wanted and see how they got there, but you, you could say that. I'm not saying everybody doesn't want to do that, but most of them don't want to do it or it's been twisted. And so as guys, man, we have to be better than that. We, we, we have to have more respect for ourselves. We have to be have more respect for just humanity, the people around us. I mean, those of you out there that are dads and you have kids, I mean, I mean, can you just let your mind go to the place where the next time you turn on your favorite porn channel, there's your daughter who was forced to be there? Like, we need men to stand up. You know, I, I don't actually blame those people that talk about toxic masculinity. Maybe they, you know, they, they've kind of wrongly said that all masculinity is toxic. But if a toxin or toxic is poisonous, there is a poisonous version of, of men out there that are doing this. So there is some version of toxic masculinity. It just isn't all masculinity and it isn't quote masculinity. It's a broken, toxic, poisonous, ugly version of men that are leading us society down this path. And that's where we need good, strong men to stand up and say, nope, nope, not on my watch. Not now, not, not, not anywhere that I'm at. This is not gonna happen in my world. Yeah, it's not it's not toxic masculinity. It's not toxic men. It's toxic males because in kind of even a couple of things you said, it's like there's you know even on you know even on your uh, your media kit here, it's like what's the definition of a real man? Authentic man accepts responsibility, leads courageously, lives a life of service, understands who he is, and more important than than what he does. If you're missing those pieces, in my opinion, you're not living as a man. Yeah, you may have male genitalia, but that doesn't give you just the right to call yourself a man. Man comes with responsibility in a way of showing up and living in, in integrity and honoring others and serving others. So in full agreement that this is a toxic male problem. It's definitely not the, 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 the masculinity side of things though. I was gonna say, I, I, I remember hearing a, an example one time, this is a, a story from way back in the day and there's soldiers were somewhere, Roman soldiers, you know, back in that, back in those days. And and the, the, you know, the Caesar, whoever the, the big shot was walking by this one, you know, soldier who was looking out of place and sloppy and not dressed right and not paying attention. He said, soldier, stand up, clean up. Blah, blah. 
And then he left. And then he came back again. And that same soldier was messing around and not looking appropriately, blah, blah, blah. Three or four times went by. And finally, then the general says to the soldier, listen, you either change your name or change your behavior. Because like what you're doing is not consistent. So for men out there, change your name, meaning don't think you're being a man. Do not claim that you're a man if you're going to be doing these things. Change your name or change your behavior because you're ruining it for the rest of us and you're ruining it for this world. And there's a bunch of good, strong men out there that are getting wiped with a, a brush of toxic, toxicity and pain and all those things that were never meant to be associated with men. Yeah, let's, let's, let's talk about your book, Alan. Um, men, Fight For Me. T tell us about the, the origin behind the book and the title and, and where this whole project kind of came from. Yeah, uh, when I came to Saving Innocence, you know, like I said, seven and a half years ago, about year three of that time, I went to an awareness event, uh, human trafficking awareness event. It was on a church in LA on a Saturday and the community was invited. And on the stage was Jessica, who is my co-author of the book, Survivor herself, works at Saving Innocence with me. Uh, and then another woman named Rachel. And there's three or four others. And they were telling their version of the story, of their personal story, what had happened. And Rachel was a survivor, is a survivor, had a different story than, than a lot of others. And in the middle of her telling her story and, and kind of talking about her trauma, how she became suicidal and uh, all these things that she was talking about, she then says, um, I, I, I gave up. I could no longer fight for myself. I needed someone to fight for me. And the hair on the back of my neck stood up. Because I'm sitting in the audience, I'm still pretty new to this. I'm trying to find where is my place as a man. Like I can, I can lead an organization, I can raise a little money, like I can do some things. But like, what is my bigger calling? What, where, what is my place? And now I have this trafficking survivor on the stage that I needed someone to fight for me. Coupled that with the knowledge of most of the buyers are men, most of the sellers are men. The problem is men. I'm a man. Okay, here's my voice. Here's my lane. And the book was born in that moment. And I then approached Rachel who I just mentioned, Jessica, and a number of other amazing survivors I got in the know. I said, I want to make, I want to write a book that is focused on challenging men because we're the problem. Would you guys bring it to life? I can say words all day long, but would you guys share some of your story and bring it to life? They said, we're in immediately. They said, there's, there's nothing like this. There's not like a survivor-informed male talking to men like this. So we're in. This is so needed. Great. So we took the slow boat. I mean, spent three years writing this and um, it was changing and morphing, got a lot of great interviews in it. And we just released it last year, and um, it, it's been pretty powerful. And what I what I say to people, I said, you know, good 20%, 30% of it is me and my male voice challenging men and enlightening men. But it's a book for everybody. Women are reading it and loving it, too. That You know, that's very educational. There's a whole chapter on the buyers and the sellers and the traffickers. There's a whole chapter on this authentic masculinity you, you alluded to a minute ago. And But there is a, there is a special, unapologetic message from me taking men along the path. It's not man shaming. It's not bashing men, but it is saying, look what's happening. And we are part of it. All of us are part of it. And so the title of the book is men, big exclamation point, fight for me. And that fight for me part came from a survivor on the stage. And um, we're, there's a little website called fightforme.net. You can find it there. You can buy it on Amazon, but it, you go, take one more step, go to fightforme.net. And there's a bunch of contributors that has their bios, these survivors and others that have written books. Things are linked there. There's resources. Um, Fight the New Drug, which is an anti-porn effort, is linked there. There's a lot of things on that website that will help you in your journey. But get the book. And the proceeds are benefiting survivors of trafficking. 
So I can very humbly say, buy a case of books and get them to every man in your life and uh, pass them out. Um, it'll be a great conversation starter. Um, there's a lot of resources in there. What can I do? There's whole chapters and pages of here's what you can do. Do this, do these things. And um, we're, we're pretty proud of it. And it, it's been well received out there. You mentioned earlier that the average age of entry in, into this is, I think you said, I think you said around, around 12. Um, what percentage, if, if, you, if you know these numbers, I mean, we've been talking about male being the problem, women being the victims of this. What percentage of the, the victims are boys? At Saving Innocence, like I mentioned earlier where I work now, our database for about 12 years, it's about 95% girls and about 5% boys. So it's mostly young girls. Uh, although we do know there are more boys out there being trafficked than that, they're just yet to be identified. There's an interesting thing that happens between boys and girls. And um, girls are typically more verbal and more social, and they'll they'll talk more just in general, generally speaking. And boys are typically not as verbal. And, and, and there's a there's a high degree of shame and embarrassment to a young boy who has been violated sexually. And I'm not saying there's not shame and embarrassment to a girl, but there's maybe there's something more and bigger and greater for, for a little boy. And so a lot of the times these victims get identified, they're already in the child welfare system, foster care system, and they tell somebody that this happened to them or is happening to them. And we know that boys aren't nearly as talkative. Uh, so we just know that there are more boys out there. But to answer your question, actual data, about 95.5 from our perspective. Yeah, wow. Um, with these boys then, I, if they're not discussing it, they're not processing it, they're not healing from it, they're bottling up, and then they grow up, and then they become men. Like, are these now the men that are going to be the traffickers? Like, is it like, does it feed itself in that way? Because we had, so I had, I had a woman on last, uh, last month, Kristen Keene from, um, uh, re rethreading, which is an organization based out of Jacksonville, Florida that employs, um, women that are in their recovery. So once they go through the trauma healing about six months, they're ready for employment. She's got an organization where they knit clothing, they make other pieces of jewelry, and it gives them a place that they can feel like they're big, they're part of something big, right? But she had also had an organization in India um, where girls would grow up and then they'd reach a certain point, you know, early to mid twenties. And it's like, now they're kind of like used goods, but then these women become the recruiters and kind of the pimps. So they, it creates like a funnel, right? Like it feeds itself. Curious if that same thing is happening here with these boys or even with these girls that are like, maybe they don't find you or saving innocence doesn't give them a place. What happens? Because eventually, like I'm assuming, like they become used goods, right? Certainly in their mind, they do. They, they, they begin to feel incredibly shameful, incredibly dirty, incredibly useless. They begin through life experience, not only what they're told, but what's done to them and shown to them. This is the only thing they're ever going to be able to do. This is the only thing I'm going to be good for. These are like their words, not mine. And, and so there is definitely a lane and sort of a, a track that they get themselves on of, of that downward cycle of, I can't do anything else. I'm, I'm shameful. I'm used up. So I guess this is what I know. This is what I'll do. And so there's certainly, it's a, it's a feeding ground. It does, like you said, a circular cycle, cycle through. And a lot of those young ones stay in that, uh, in that life. Now, there's another stat, though, to interject is that uh, the life expectancy of a child being trafficked is about seven years unless they're rescued out and pulled out. So while many of them do get out and get on with their life, 
uh, many of them will lose their life in the process of it. And those that don't get out or lose their life, a lot of them will stay in it in some way, shape or form. Like life expectancy, not life within the industry is seven years. Like once they're in, they got seven years, they're either rescued or they're no, they're no longer with us. Oftentimes they are murdered. Uh, they, they become addicted to drugs in some way as part of this process. Somebody addicts them. And, and so there's overdoses that are happening. Um, one of our girls literally just got run over on the street. Um, open murder case. It wasn't an accident. Uh, another girl that we knew, her pimp put her on the wrong side of the street because it was owned by the other gang. Guy walks up in cold blood, puts a pistol to her head like you'd see in the movies and kills her. Um, one of our survivors who was on our staff isn't anymore. When she was 13, she was being trafficked with her best friend. The trafficker drove them both out into the desert. Um, and this other girl had apparently broken the rules in some way, pulled out a gun and killed her point blank in front of the girl that lived. Message sent. Um, another girl, try, if you try to run away, a lot of people say, why don't you just run away? Like they're not being handcuffed very often and, and you know tied to a radiator. And they're not handcuffed to a bed. Uh, there's like a chain around the brain, not around the arm. Like they, they, they can't run. If they do run, then a green light gets put on them and they can get killed. Um, Jessica talks about, my co-author talks about one of her good friends in the life got burned alive in broad daylight and put, on, put in a garbage can in the streets of Los Angeles. So it's a violent, like, let's not get it twisted. It's not just some high-end escort service where some classy lady shows up and you have some romantic version of sex in a nice hotel room. Although that version does exist. The bulk of sex trafficking is a violent, aggressive, painful, brutal existence where every single minute of every day, these young victims are in survival mode, trying to make it to the end of the day so they can get up and do it all again, trying to make it to the end of the day alive so they can get up and do it all again. So, yes, uh, there's murders, there's overdose, there's suicides. Uh, All those things are happening we had a service, a uh, little informal memorial service out at Park. This was t- two years ago, mid-pandemic. And um, we had 12 or 13 kids that uh, we were memorializing that had lost their lives as a result of this, this existence. So, yeah, uh, we need organizations to step in. We need good people, man or woman, to step in. We need people to be generous and and support these organizations. We need you to volunteer. We need you to do whatever it is that you can do because there are children in our country, U.S.-born American citizens in our communities that are living for their life. They're fighting for their very existence, and the problem is men. We are either actively going down the path and perpetrating, or we're passively just allowing it to happen. Both cases, we're both 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 groups are guilty. Mm-hmm. We're complicit in the brutal crime we see happening, we know about it, and we turn the other way. We're complicit in that crime happening. And now that you've listened this far in the podcast, man, sorry, <laughs> uh, you now you know enough to get involved. And I hope to, and I hope and pray that you do. Yeah, man. Those, I mean, some of those stories and examples, man. That's that's like Hollywood movie type stuff, right? Like you don't like you don't think that oh, that's happening here, like in our country. That's either you know something you see on TV or something you see in a you know in a third world country, not here in our own backyard. Um, curious if you know the the statistics of of how many children here in the states are are being trafficked. Is there is there a number attached to that? The the number that most people agree upon is around 300,000 children, U.S.-born American citizens, 300,000 youth 
being trafficked at any given moment in our country. Uh, we did some work with the state of Texas a couple of years ago. They invited us to come in and consult and train their law enforcement and some of their organizations. And they had determined through their metrics, they had 90,000 just in Texas. Just in so, Texas. So um, uh, whatever number that you hear is going to be wrong and it's probably going to be low. Uh, this crime exists in the shadows. It's not like a bank robbery. You know exactly how many banks got robbed last year. It's like, there's a police report. There's a building. This is in the shadows. It's in the darkness. It, it's online. But uh, most people would say it's upwards of 300,000. What if any, you know, whether policy changes or, you know, is this obviously, yeah, we want we want the people listening here today to begin to take action. But how much changing of, of policy, of laws, of government, I mean, like is clearly if we some of the things we're talking about here, it's like, how are these things even happening? And, and there's not law enforcement there. And like, yeah, just, I mean, is this, is this a problem that's, I mean, obviously, yes, we want to do what we can here, but who do we need? Do we need to call our local congressmen? Like how, how, how do we begin to change some of the way that this is being handled through the legal side? Yeah. And I'm not trying to do a shameless plug, but in chapter eight of the book, men fight for me, there's a whole chapter called conclusions and solutions. And I tackle, I, I give 12 or 13, conversation starters, I call them a couple of paragraphs on here are the things that we can do. And there's big picture. And then there's kind of the macro and the micro and we'll meet in the middle. Yeah, macro. Um, we have to turn our society the other way around. We're, we're upside down. We're not valuing the correct things. And so, um, yeah, I mean, it's a federal offense of sex with a minor. Um, but the problem is, is that most people would consider this minor that she's doing it on purpose and they would consider her as a quote prostitute. Well, the federal age of consent is 18 years old. She can't, there's no such thing as a child prostitute. There's a rape victim, but there's not a child prostitute. So everything is upside down. And as we've seen from this Jeffrey Epstein debacle with this island and everything, the, the rich and powerful of this world are perpetrating this crime, many of them. And so it's going to be really hard to change society when the rich and the powerful and former presidents are on that island and members of the royal family are on that island and everybody else, you might not know their name, are rich and powerful. It's going to be hard. But yes, there are things we can do. And there are bills and laws that keep getting floated around. One of them, imagine this. Uh, what I just described about this life and how these kids are getting murdered and killed and suicided and everything. Um, in most many places, human trafficking is not on the laws, eyes of the law. It's not considered a air quote violent crime. And so because it's not considered a violent crime, then there's limits to what the court, the punishments and that the court can impose on a, on a convicted trafficker or buyer. And so we have signed our name at Saving Innocence and added our logo and signed a letter with everybody a bunch of times in different counties around California that are trying to overturn that and make it a violent crime. And it keeps failing. There's another one coming up again. So society at large is upside down like that. Um, we, need to, we need to get our head straight first and see what we value. And then from that, we'll follow. Yeah, let's make harsher crimes for buyers. Let's make harsher crimes for traffickers. Okay, good. We're not going to legislate our way out of it. The, the biggest part of this work is going to happen in the heart of men. It's going to happen in your own house. We have to look in the mirror and sync up our life, put our, line, our life in sync with the non-exploitive culture we want our daughters and our wives and our children to grow up and exist in. So once we get our life in that going in the right direction, which means you got to quit looking at porn, guys, for all the reasons that we just discussed earlier in this podcast. What about you? Yeah, there it is. Real men don't watch porn. They do not. Um, you know, the, the, the kind of music, the kind of websites, the kind of things that we patronize are a lot of them are feeding this dark, ugly beast. Your sons and daughters at that young age are desperately looking for an authentic, accurate, powerful version of what a man is in their life. 
maybe the greatest thing that we could do would be to focus our energies on our sons, who are mostly the future traffickers, not to in any way step away from our daughters. I'm not saying that at all. But I raise good, strong men and find an organization that's working, you know, I don't know, it's Boys and Girls Club. I don't know who it would be. Find a place where there's fatherless men and become a mentor to one of them. That sounds like a long road, and it is a long road, but it's probably the most strategic thing that we could do. Because most of the young boys that are out there living a hurt, damaged life are going to go down a path, and many of them are going to go down this tragic path of buyers and sellers. So yeah, there's a lot we can do. We'd have to—I'd have to come back for five more podcasts and unpack it all. But um, get the book. <laughs> like, yeah, definitely. Yeah, no, we definitely want—we definitely want everybody to get the to get the book here today. What's the conversation we should be having with? children as we're raising them up in our in our own home both boys and girls at what point do you begin to talk about this with children a from a leading boys down the path of authentic masculinity to make sure that they understand that hey down the road you're going to be invited to strip clubs and there's going to be pornography and all of this are you bringing this to their awareness at what age and then how are you discussing it with the young women in your home yeah, that's a great question. It's the right question because, like, I'm imagining dads out there. Yeah, but what do I do? Like in the home, like, how do I do this? And so, there's an age-appropriate conversation that you'll have to determine what the right vocabulary and the imagery that you want to use on your six-year-old or your 16-year-old or anywhere in between. Um, the big picture is, I would like to challenge dads to raise their sons and daughters to become strong, confident, and aware in age-appropriate language. Strong, confident, and aware. You know, I, I think of you've seen a version of this video on National Geographic and they show some lion out in the jungle, you know, out in the prairie and he's laying low in the tall grass. He, you know, he's got a strategy. There's instincts about it. He knows what to do in this herd of zebra or antelope or something runs by. Who does he pounce on? You've seen this. You already know the answer. He doesn't pounce on the first one. He doesn't pounce on the big, strong buffalo. He waits for that one at the trailing at the back of the pack who falls behind who's not strong, confident, aware, that last one is weak, timid, and oblivious, unaware to the, the, the predators out there. And he jumps on that one and has his lunch on that one. Well, I don't want anyone to fall back of the pack, but dads, make sure your child is not at the back of the pack. Make sure your child is strong, confident, and aware. They're aware of what's happening. You know, stuff with the internet has just put jet fuel on a bonfire related to this topic. Dads, your kids don't get a smartphone anytime soon. They don't get a computer anytime soon. And they absolutely don't get it in their room after hours unsupervised. That's easy. Unplug it. It doesn't exist. They don't get their iPhone when they're 12 years old just to be in their room. You leave it outside. It's charging out in the hallway or downstairs, period, because there's predators. 900,000 predators, the FBI says, are online at any given moment. 900,000. And that was a pre-pandemic stat. It's bigger now. I know it is. Predators. Sleeking down in the tall grass, waiting for that, that one that's fallen back. Don't let your child be the one that's fallen behind. And I will say, uh, let me, let me uh, pub uh, another little tool. I get nothing for it. Um, There's just a friend, Rachel, who I mentioned, who said I needed someone to fight for me. She's a survivor leader out there doing great stuff. And she created a, um, a series called the Cool Aunt Series. You can find it on coolauntseries.com. She's a cool aunt. A lot of times parents don't know how to communicate, have these sensitive conversations. And it's about an eight or 10 short video segment that walks through the idea for teens, all teens. Every teenager should watch this with you as a parent in the room if you want, or let them watch it and watch it together however you want. And these little five, six, seven, eight, nine minute videos walk through all the tactics of these predators, 
all the risk factors. She tells her personal story, all those things. It's a phenomenal tool. It's a for-profit. She's trying to trying to pay the bills. Go spend the money, whatever it is, 100 bucks, I think. You got a little news list. You'll stay in touch and uh, go to thecoolauntseries.com. That's my answer every time somebody asks that question. What do we do? What do we say? Get thecoolauntseries.com. And uh, for sure, your young daughters, but also young boys, uh, go through it with them. How's the response been uh, from the book, from both men and women? It's been incredibly encouraging and very powerful. If you go find it on Amazon, there's, I don't know, 15 or 20 people took a, took a minute and put a, 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 a review on there. And um, uh, it's, oh, gosh, I mean, it's been, it's been everything I would have wanted it to be, you know, kind of working on it for a few years and you sort of take that step and put it out into the world and wait to hear all the haters and, you know, people say you didn't get it right or all that. And, um, we've heard nothing but how, how powerful it is and, um, what a great tool it is to talk to primarily your sons. And, uh, I'm honored to be part of it. And really the stars of the show are these five or six amazing survivors that bring it to life. But then my male voice with a thread holds it all together. Have you had any pushback? Uh, no, I haven't. Um, I'm trying to think about that. Um, the, 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 the potential pushback, which maybe there's been pushback, I just hasn't made it to me. And I do remember hearing something right after we released it. Um, for the longest time, the book was just entitled Bite For Me. And, um, and our book consultant said, the target audience is men, add men, big letters, exclamation point, men, bite for me. We're trying to get, the, trying to get the, the eye of men. And we want to show up when men are looking for something. Show it up, you know, in men's searches and those kinds of things. And I knew that there was a potential, uh, you know, stumbling block for probably only women out there that would see that and somehow take offense. That somehow, like, I don't need a man to fight for me. Like, I can do it. You know, all those kinds of things. And I remember hearing one or two little things like that. Um, but honestly, that's been 0.01% of, of all the feedback. Um, once, if anyone takes time to read the book, they, they'll understand it isn't, you know, big, strong men, machismo men fighting for these damsels in distress. It's not that at all. We're just trying to get the attention of men because men are the problem. And um, we're wanting men and women to fight for what's right. Yeah. Guys, get the book, get get multiple copies, multiple versions, fightforme.org, I think is what you said, is the is the link that's got all the resources.net, fightforme.net, guys, we'll link that all down there. Uh, you know, for for those of you guys that are out there that are that are running small groups, you know, you have, you have a men's Bible study that you're involved in, bring this conversation to that, bring this to your men's group, bring this to your softball teams, bring this to the office, you know, the, 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 the lunch hour conversation, guys, make this a top of mind, Peace, because like we said at the beginning, the world will not be destroyed by those that do evil. It will be destroyed by those that sit back and watch like nothing is happening. So if you've made it up until this point, you know, if you've been with us for a while, you know that this is something that we're very, very passionate about. Um, so, yeah, Alan, tell us, you know, obviously where, where they can find the book. We know that's fightforme.net. Where can they learn about the work that you're doing at Saving an Innocence? And is there a place that they connect with you? Like, you know, I've got questions maybe that I didn't answer, ask here today. Is there a way that people can connect personally with you? Yeah, savinginnocence.org. Find us on social media at Saving Innocence. Go there. You'll learn a lot more. Follow what we're doing on there and, and reshare it and retweet it and all those things. Fightforme.net. Our social media is uh, Fight For Me Book at Fight For Me Book. And we put some stuff out there whenever we can. There's a lot of podcasts and things. If you go to the website, fightforme.net, there's a media uh, tab. And we haven't put all, but put a number of these kinds of shows. I'll add this to that one as well. But if you want to go through and re-listen or re-watch to a number of the conversations that we've had, you can find them there. Also, there's a, a blog or vlog, I call it, where um, we've interviewed on a 
format like this, basically on Zoom, a lot of the contributors of the book and these other survivors, and we created these little little uh, poor man's TV shows, you know, where we're just interviewing here, having them unpacked as a great place to learn more about, you know, kind of this entire crime that's happening and the survivors that are in it. Um, and then there's a contact tab on, on fightforme.net. You can send me an email and uh, I'd be happy to interact. I had a guy in Florida. You're in Florida. Is that right, Frank? Yes, sir. So there's a guy who exactly what I described, what we hope would happen was searching, uh, you know, he loves to read books and he looking for men's books and he saw the title men fight for me. He said, Oh, he bought it and had his life transformed. And, um, he emails me, he said, I, I have my life changed. You rocked my world. Can we talk? So we got on the phone now about every two weeks, we have a phone conversation. I'm giving him, you know, ideas to get more involved. I connected him some anti-trafficking groups in Florida. And, um, so I'm very happy to do that and, uh, connect with anyone that might hear this. Yeah. And guys, um, I'll just, I'll just add on top of that, you know, stop watching porn. Uh, and if you need some help on, 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 on that, because, We've addressed it. We've talked about it, you know, hundreds of times here, the link, the link between the two. And, and for me, I started the podcast to share my recovery story as a 20 year struggling porn addict and how getting out of my life began to change things for me, change how I saw people, change how I saw the world, change how I saw myself showing up here in the world. About a year later, we started coaching men and it was shortly after coaching that I had somebody introduce me to a friend here, Natasha. Uh, we had Natasha on back in September of, of, of 2020. For her, it was, she was sitting in, a, in an event and they were talking about teen prostitution. And she kind of had that same aha moment where she's like, wait a minute, like you can't have child prostitutes. Like, how does that even make sense? And for the last decade plus, she's been leading the charge here. Incredibly strong woman that has really been a force for good here, both locally in the state of, in the, in the city of Tampa and really in the state of Florida. So Alan, it's been an absolute honor here today to have you on. Um, so thrilled about the work that, that you're doing and anything we can do to, to be behind it, man. So, uh, Final question. It's going to be a little bit off topic. It's what we end every single conversation here with uh, at the Superman Life. So obviously, the title of the show is the Superman Life. For me, when I talk about living a Superman Life, Alan, it's really it's it's a belief system. It's a way that I show up here every single day, and it's coming from the place that I believe that everybody is put on this earth for a purpose, right? Like there's a calling, and there's something that we're here to do. But you can't just know that and accept it. Like you have to be intentional about your development, intentional about how you show up and bring that purpose to the service of others. So that's what I define living superhuman life. But as we end today's conversation, Mr. Alan Smith, how would you define living a superhuman life? Oh man, that's a great question. I would say knowing what's important and then going after what's important. So many of us get distracted by whatever we might get distracted with knowing what's truly important and then going after it and having your life line up with, with those values. Guys, uh, check out fightforme.net, savinginnocence.org. Pick up multiple copies of the book. We'll link all of those links down there uh, in the description box. Um, and guys, we ask you every single week, right? How can you help us grow? We've seen tremendous growth and support over these last few months um, in one of two ways, right? You can help us here. First off, if you're enjoying these conversations, they're doing anything for you, leave that five-star rating and review. Uh, but more importantly, especially here today with this conversation, share this one. Don't share it with one person, share it with everybody. 
drop it in your social media, tag me, tag Alan, tag Alan's organizations. We'll make sure to reshare that to our social medias as well. If you run an email list, send this out to your subscribers, just something of good right here today. But uh, Alan, it's been an absolute honor. Thank you once again for everything you're doing and uh, look forward to to seeing this book grow and everything that, uh, that you're char you know, charging out there in the world, man. So incredibly thankful to have you on here today. Thank you. We love you guys. We'll see you next week.